John chapter 3 and verse number 16. Once you have found that or you're close to finding that, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. And John chapter number 3. John is the fourth book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And then the Bible is broken up into chapters. So chapter 1, 2, and 3, and then verse number 16. And if you're visiting with us here today, let me just encourage you, we do have Bibles in the pew there in front of you, and encourage you to use that. If uh, you're not familiar with how to to use a Bible, that's okay. Uh, For today's message, for our visitors, we're going to put the verses up on the screen so that you're able to see those. And I'd like all of us, whether you're looking at a Bible or looking up at the screen, I would encourage you to uh, read the verse out loud together with me. Ready? Here we go. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is maybe the most famous verse in the entire Bible. All of the Old Testament is an arrow pointing to John 3.16. And all of the New Testament is an arrow pointing back to John 3.16. This verse sums up the Bible. This verse might be the most powerful verse ever penned. And this came right from the mouth of Jesus himself. And this morning we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to look at this title, The Power of John 3.16. The Power of John 3.16. If you've never experienced the power of this verse, boy, don't leave here today without making a decision with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to uh, have our full attention, uh, Lord, on your word this morning and the preaching of your word. All of us today have come in here with a head full of busyness, Lord, with much uh, going on. Lord, help us to be able to set that to the side and for a few minutes be able to glean and gather what you have from your word into our spirit. Lord God, Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the cross and the great sacrifice that was made there. Lord, many of us have a head knowledge. Lord, I pray that today, by the time this service is over, everyone will have made a heart decision with the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, if you go to the beginning of John chapter 3, what you find is that there was a man who was very religious. Very religious. And this man was religious, but he was lost. He couldn't find his way. He didn't know what to do with the person of Jesus standing right before him. In fact, this man named Nicodemus, he had been religious, if not his whole life, for most of his life. He had worked hard and become a ruler of the religious elite within the country of Israel. And John, uh, uh, rather, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night as Jesus is just beginning his earthly ministry. And he says this to him in the beginning of the chapter. He says this. He says, we know that thou art a man sent from God. He calls him rabbi or master teacher. And so uh, here you have uh, Nicodemus who is religious but confused. And can I tell you today that the world is filled with people who are religious but confused. Religious but confused. And my friend, I want to, through the message this morning to help you find clarity 
in the person of Jesus. And he asks Jesus to explain to him who he is. And Jesus goes in and says to him, make no mistake about it, ye must be born again. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, ye must be born again. And then again, John chapter 3, verse 7, Jesus saith unto him, marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Now, if that verbiage, if that wording is strange to you, if you don't know what that would mean to be born again, you fit right in the company of Nicodemus. Nicodemus scratched his head and said, what is this ridiculous talk about being born again? He said, am I to go back into my mother's womb a second time and be born again? Now, what a ridiculous statement to make. Uh, I am six foot two. My mother is five foot nine. I would not fit in my mother's womb anymore. Amen. Uh, She would explode. That's just not going to work. And Nicodemus is looking at Jesus and thinking, this is crazy talk. And Jesus says, no, 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 you you don't understand me properly. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, is spirit. We must not only be born physically, there must be a point where we are born spiritually. Spiritually. Jesus here was speaking of a spiritual birth. John, or rather Nicodemus is still confused. He doesn't know of these things that Jesus is talking about. Maybe you're like Nicodemus and you're sitting here today thinking, what does it mean to be born spiritually? Jesus goes on to explain to him in the verses to come what that meant. And in that explanation we find John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is a powerful verse. I heard of one preacher that took every Sunday morning for an entire year and preached a different sermon out of John 3.16. When he finished that series, that 52-week series, he was. Uh, uh, it, it is known that he has said, I could have preached out of that verse for another several years. And so there is no way that I am going to be able to properly expound or thoroughly expound all of the truths laid out here in John 3.16 for you this morning. But if I could, if you would indulge me for a few minutes, I'd like for us to look phrase by phrase, word by word, at John chapter 3 and verse 16 and consider the power of the truths that are held here. And so let's jump in this morning and look with me at John chapter 3 and verse 16. And notice those first two words. They are this, for God, for God. Now, God is a powerful being. In fact, God is the king of the world. There was a preacher of yesteryear in the early uh, 20th century by the name of S.M. Lockridge. And he uh, was a black preacher and he preached with great cadence and great rhythm. I have played a video of his preaching in the past. I'm not going to do that this morning. But he preached a famous sermon entitled, That's My King. And he lifted up the name of God in a powerful way. And I have the excerpt from his sermon here. And so if if you would allow me to uh, share with you how powerful God is, as was worded by uh, Pastor Lockridge, he said this, he said about God, he said he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. 
He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest idea in philosophy. He's the fundamental truth in theology. He's the miracle of the ages. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? Well, my King is the King of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And He is the Lord of lords. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And His burden is light. And then He goes on to say, well, I wish I could describe Him for you. But He is indescribable. Yes, He is indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He is invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you the heavens cannot contain Him, let alone man explain Him. Yet you cannot get Him out of your mind. You cannot get Him off of your hands. You can't outlive Him, and you can't live without Him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand Him, but they found out they couldn't stop Him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in Him. Herod couldn't kill Him. Death couldn't handle Him. And the grave couldn't couldn't hold him. Yes, that's my king. He always has been and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor and he has no successor. There was there's no there was nobody before him and there will be nobody after him. You can't impeach him and he's not going to resign. We 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 try to get prestige and honor and glory to ourselves, but the glory is all God's. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. How long is that? And ever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all the forevers, then He is the last. Amen. That's my King. That's my King. For God. For God. My friend, God is your Creator. You see, over and over again, prophets tell us in the Old Testament that you and I were formed in the womb of our mothers by His hand. He is the creator of everything we see and everything we know. Even if you look around and you see objects that were made by man, I would ask you, who made the man that made the object? God is your creator. And another thing I want you to understand this morning is that God's judgments are perfect. 
His judgments are perfect. We hear a whole lot about don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. But can I just say this? If someone says don't judge, they are being a total hypocrite. We all make judgments, don't we? If you got in a car with me and I drove reckless and put your life in danger and we, you, you got out and barely escaped uh, with, with your life in your hands and I said, hey, you want to go for another ride? You know what you'd be doing? You'd be judging me. You'd be judging me. You wouldn't get back in the car. We all make judgments. But God has the right to judge. Not only to make a decision at large, He has the right to make judgments that condemn. Why? Because He is perfect. Boy, the thought of being perfect, I I live for the day where I go a whole day and I'm perfect. I go a whole day and I don't do anything wrong. Listen, I'm 36 years old. Uh, I'll be 37 in the next few months here. There's not been one day in my entire life where I did not do something wrong. But listen, God has existed from eternity past. He'll exist into eternity future. And God has not one time in all of His existence ever done anything wrong. He's perfect. He has the right to judge. He has the right to judge those who fall short for God. Notice the next two words of the verse. For God so loved. So loved. First, notice that word so. The word so indicates both the degree of how much God loved and the manner of which He loved. In Old English, you would say, I love Him so. I love Him so. Indicate that words cannot describe the depth of the love that I have for that fellow human being. The word so provides both sense and syntax. The Greek adverb here uh, describes a love that is intense, a love that is limitless, and a love that is fully adequate, fully adequate. You cannot put parameters around the love of God. God loves everyone. In order for us to understand love, we must look at the standard of love. Who is the standard of love? My friend, God is the standard of love. Back in the 1980s, before cell phones were a thing and satellite clocks were a thing, there was a radio station that uh, had its uh, headquarters right across the street from a, a clock store. And in the department clock store, they had all kinds of clocks hanging in the window, digital clocks and, 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 and clocks, uh, traditional clocks with the hands on them. And the radio station set its time based on what the clock windows, uh, win- windows in the clock said, uh, uh, rather clocks in the window said, and the, the, the clock store said its uh, clocks based on what the radio station said. And they were both getting time from the other one. And after a, a while of that, they were five minutes off and then ten minutes off and then fifteen minutes off. What happened? The idea of time became distorted because they were getting their time from each other and each other was the wrong source. You see, we live in a world today where people don't know what love is. Love is broken. And the culture sets its definition of love based on what Hollywood tells us. And Hollywood oftentimes gets its definition of love from what culture tells us. And the problem is we're looking at the wrong source. What is the source of love? God is the source of love. You see, in this world today, Satan has sold us a lie. He has told us that lust is love. Lust is love. And Hollywood has boiled love down to be a promiscuous bedroom scene between a man and a woman, and sometimes even a man and a man or a woman and a woman that aren't married to each other. And God says that love 
first comes from God, and we need to look at God for love, not the culture at large or the entertainment industry at large for love. You see, love is not lust. Love says, I'll give. Lust says, I'll take. Love looks outward while lust looks inward. Love expects to suffer for the better of others, while lust expects others to suffer for the betterment of oneself. Love revolves around the needs of others, while lust expects everyone else to revolve around the wants and passions, his own wants and passions. Love is selfless, while lust is very, very selfish. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 8 and 1 John 4, 16 that God is love. He is love. Please listen to me. Many people think that they have love and that they give love, but the truth is our love is tainted. Our love is tainted. You know, sometimes I, I bicker and argue with my wife. Sometimes I butt heads with my children. Sometimes I get flustered or frustrated with a coworker or an employee. Sometimes I don't always get along with my neighbors in my neighborhood. How many of you can share in that sentiment with me this morning? That you don't always get along with everyone in your life. You know why? Because your love and that other person's love is tainted with lust. Tainted with lust. You show me two people that can't get along, I'll show you at least one, probably two people that have a lust problem. They want for themselves. They don't want for someone else. They want to build their kingdom. They don't want to help uh, love others the way God has commanded them to do. And the Bible says that God so loved, a love that cannot be described, a love that cannot be explained, a love that is limitless, a love that is infinite. God so loved. Well, who did God love? Let's look at the next two words of the verse there. For God so loved, notice the next two words, the world. The world. The Greek word here, uh, the Bible was written, the New Testament was written in Greek. And the root Greek word that was put down for the word world is the word cosmos. Cosmos, which means all of mankind. Cosmos. Now, we get our word uh, uh, cosmetology or cosmopolitan from the same root word, cosmos. Cosmos. You may be here today and think that God does not love you. You may even think that you are unworthy of His love. Boy, in my years of doing church ministry, church work, I've met people who've made some awful decisions with their life. They've done some things that they're greatly ashamed of. They live with a whole lot of guilt. And you know, they come and they, uh, they talk to me, whether they're standing in my presence, maybe sitting in my office, and they put their head down and tears begin to run down their cheeks and they'll make a statement like this, God could never love me. And can I tell you that no matter what you've done, God loves you. You see, there's a lot of world religions out there that would preach and tell you that God is angry at you and God hates you and you must be a good person to earn God's love. And my friend, it is quite the contrary. God's love is extended to you always. For God so loved the world. There's not a man or woman a boy or girl walking this earth that God does not love. You see, even when we made ourselves the enemy of God by choosing sin, God chose to love us anyway. 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus says to his disciples there in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, love your enemies. You know who epitomizes loving an enemy? Is the Lord Jesus Christ, is God in heaven. He loved us when we chose sin over him. He chose to love us anyway. My friend, every time you lie, every time you steal, every time you cheat, every time you take God's name in vain, every time you cuss, every time you gossip, every time you complain, every time that you uh, are not faithful to God's calling on your life, uh, every time you bicker and fight with a a family member or a loved one, uh, every time that uh, you are dishonest at work, whatever it may be, whatever you've done, God does not stop loving you, my friend. God loves you anyway. For God so loved the world. Notice those next three words. That He gave. That He gave. A few minutes ago, we talked about love versus lust. We said that love gives while lust takes. You know, my friend, love is not simply a noun, but rather a verb. And excuse me, for, for those of you that attend here regularly, excuse me for using what you may label a tired illustration but this is, uh, message is just, it meant just as much for the guests today, and they've never heard it before. So then it'll be new, amen? Imagine, if you will, that uh, I get home from work for the next six years. I come home from work, and as soon as I get home, I, uh, I head to my favorite chair. And I buy the most comfortable chair I can buy. And I plop down in that chair, and I order my children around to bring me my favorite drink with refills. And I have my wife bring me my dinner in my chair, and I put on my favorite uh, TV programming. And from the moment I get home until I go to bed, other than maybe a bathroom break or two, I do not move from that chair. But one thing I do is I come home and I plop down in that chair, and I make sure that I say to my wife and my kids, as soon as I get situated, Angela, I sure am in love with you. I sure do love you. I say to my kids... Man, I sure love you. And Matthew says, well, why don't you go outside and throw the baseball with me, Dad? Well, Matthew, I'm not going to do that, but buddy, I sure do love you. And April says, Dad, I really need to go to the store and get some things for a class project. Will you take me? Well, well, your mom will take you, but I sure want you to know, April, I love you. I'm in love with my family. Many people treat love like a noun. And God, God is not just saying He loves you in that He's in love with humanity. No, God's love is action. You know, if I would do that, there might just, might just so happen. I don't know if this would happen or not. But after a year or two, there might just so happen to be a frying plant pan that would fly out of the kitchen toward my head and say, if you love me, get out of the chair and do something. Right? Love, watch this now, love is action. It's not a feeling, it's action. Love is action. What are some verbs that best describe love? Verbs such as sacrifice, cry, laugh, provide, spoil, bless. Notice this last one I have on my list, give. 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 I can tell you this, that every day God provides for my needs. Last night I took a shower. Aren't you glad I took a shower? Amen? (laughs) I turned on the shower faucet. And I said, Lord, would you please provide some hot water? Now, I know that there's probably hot water in the tank. But you know who keeps my furnace working and that water hot? The Lord does. 
When the water turned hot, I said, Lord, thank you for this hot water. This morning on the way in, I, I had breakfast that Angela put in its go bowl for me, and it was, it was eggs and potatoes and sausage and, and a cup of coffee she had made for me before I walked out the door this morning. And I had Matthew with me, and me and Matthew prayed. And we didn't thank Angela for providing the food. We thanked God for providing the food. Because God gave Angela the energy to make it. And God gave me and Angela the, 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 the means to work and earn the money that put that there. And, and, and I'm thankful that my wife cooked for me. But it was God ultimately that provided. He gives and He gives and He gives and He gives and He gives. Boy, Lamentations chapter 3 says uh, we, uh, that, that, uh, that He gives us His compassions, that they're new every morning. It is of the Lord's mercies. We are not consumed because, uh, his, uh, because His compassions fell not. Great is Thy faithfulness. He's faithful every day to provide for our needs. What does God give? What did God give? The ultimate price. I hope you're listening this morning. For God so loved the world that He gave. What did He give? Notice the next four words. His only begotten Son. His only begotten Son. That word begotten there, and by the way, if you have a Bible that doesn't have the word begotten, then you need to get a different Bible. That word begotten is very important. That word begotten means unique. The one and only of the same kind or class. Unique. You see, in the Bible, the angels are called the sons of God. Adam was called the son of God. The saints are called the sons of God. But Jesus is called the only begotten son of God. Why? Because he is in a unique class, all of his own. How much would you have to love someone in order to give up your son on their behalf? Let me ask that a question again. Please listen. How much would you have to love someone to give up your son on their behalf? The love of a father and a son is unique. You see, I love my parents, but the love I have for my wife is different than that of my parents. I love my daughter, but the love I have for my son, it's not better, but it's different than that I have for my daughter. God so loved His only begotten Son, but He was willing to see Him die on a cross for you and for me. People yawn when they see a cross. It's become such a part of our culture that from cradle to grave, you'll see tens of thousands of crosses used as decorations or jewelry. And we see it and we yawn. Uh, uh, The old phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. And we see it and we shrug our shoulders. But my friend, the cross is a powerful symbol to show you that the Lamb of God, the Son of God, God Himself incarnate form, came down to earth and He suffered for me and He suffered for you. God so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son. Boy, I can't imagine taking my son and sending him to death row so some crook and criminal could be set free. That's exactly what God did for me and you. You say, oh, I'm no crook, I'm no criminal. In the courtroom of God, we all are. Because the crooks 
crook, to be a crook and criminal in God's uh, heaven, all you have to do is break his moral law. James chapter 2 verse 10 tells us that where we violated in, the, in one law, we've broken the whole thing. All of us here have either broken the law directly or the spirit of the law. You say, I've never committed adultery. Have you ever looked at another man or woman with lust? Then Jesus said that you've broken the spirit of the law. Well, I've never murdered anyone. Have you ever hated someone in your heart? Then you've broken that one too. You say, well, I've never taken God's name in vain. Oh, really? You want to stop and think about that one for a moment? We probably all at some point have taken God's name in vain. Uh, Listen, I've never coveted. Oh, you've never looked at something someone else had and wanted it and wished it was yours? That's coveting. You say, I've never stolen anything. Oh, I beg to differ. We've all taken something that didn't belong to us in our lifetime. And we stand in the presence of God and we're crooks and criminals. And God said, I don't want to send you to hell. I love you so much. I'm going to send Jesus to die on the cross in your place. Boy, when he hung up there, he had a crown of thorns in his head. been mashed down in his skull. They laid lashes on his back with a whip. Nine of them, actually. They drove railroad spiked nails through his hands and through his feet. They cussed him. They tore out his beard. They mocked him. Try to, if you can, to imagine standing there at the foot of the cross, looking up at something that is so grotesque, it turns your stomach. And that's something being the body of Christ that's been bludgeoned and beaten on your behalf. Stand there and listen as he cries out, I thirst! And they raise a sponge on a stick with vinegar, water. Stand there as he looks down at his mother who's weeping at the base of the cross. See his mother weeping. See John the Apostle comforting her. See Jesus as he cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani! My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, God in heaven took my sin and he took your sin and he put it on Jesus. Jesus became our sin and our sin killed Jesus on that cross. God the Father hates sin so much that when Jesus became our sin, God the Father turned his back on his son and the skies darkened. For three hours the skies were darkened as Jesus bore our sin in his body. You say, how much does God love you? How much does God love me? So much that he was willing to part ways for a short while with his son. Let him die on that cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Notice those next two words, that whosoever. That whosoever. Who did Jesus sacrifice for? Whosoever. Who did God the Father give up? Uh, Jesus for whosoever. Who is the gift that Jesus purchased available for whosoever? 
It doesn't matter if you're male or female, if you're young or old, if you're rich or poor, if you're success or a failure, if you're accepted societally or rejected, if you would be labeled cool or maybe eccentric. It doesn't matter what color of skin you have. It doesn't matter what cult- culture you come from. It doesn't matter your religious affiliation or background. If you're a human being that is breathing air in and out of your lungs, then God's gift of salvation is available for you. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Boy, God doesn't check your bank account. He doesn't check your skin color. He doesn't check to see what language you speak. If you are a human and you're breathing air, then my friend Jesus died for you and He extends the gift of eternal life to you. That whosoever. Notice those next three words. Believeth in Him. Believeth in Him. Aha! Stay with me here. Here we uncover the one and only obligation of mankind. The one and only obligation of sinful man. We must believe. We must believe. We must believe that Jesus is the one and only way to heaven. We must feel and understand the intensity of His love toward us. We must understand that He paid the ultimate price in becoming our sin and that allowing our sin to kill Him and then allowing our sin to kill Him on a cross. We must believe that in His death, He bought the gift of salvation by paying the ultimate price, by giving His life. Oh, my friend, it is not enough to believe the facts in your head. Many, many people believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. Many people in their head believe that Jesus lived a sinless life and died a vicarious death or a substitutionary death. Many people believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They celebrate Easter with their Easter egg hunts. They celebrate Christmas with their Santa Claus and their Christmas tree. But my friend, uh, salvation is not about celebrating a holiday. Salvation is believing in your heart that Jesus died for you. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says this. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and watch, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him, Jesus, from the dead, thou shalt be saved or rescued. For with the mouth, or rather with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. Verse 13 of that chapter says this, For whosoever, there's that word again, that's you, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now notice it doesn't say, For whosoever shall be a good person shall be saved. It doesn't say, Whosoever shall be a Baptist shall be saved. It doesn't even say, Whosoever shall be a Catholic shall be saved. It doesn't say, Whosoever help loveth his neighbor shall be saved. It says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a matter of calling out by faith and believing that Jesus is your sacrifice on the cross. Many, many people believe in Jesus in their head, but they do not believe Him in their heart. There's a story of a man in the 19th century. He uh, was a tightrope walker, a very famous tightrope walker. 
And uh, he spread, he'd walked, done all kinds of feats, uh, skyscrapers and tall buildings and things. And so he set out to do something no man had done before. He stretched a tightrope out across a portion of the Niagara Falls. Uh, one side was in the U.S. and the other side was in Canada. And he put it uh, in the newspaper and great crowds gathered. And he got his balancing pole and across the, the falls he walked. And he got to the other side and, man, people cheered and, woo, that's awesome. And he set the pole down and he got a wheelbarrow and he put a, 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 a mannequin that weighed as much as a man, a dummy, and he put it there in the wheelbarrow and he pushed the wheelbarrow back to the other side where he started. And then he got there to applause and cheering and he asked the crowd, he said, how many of you believe I could push a real live person in the wheelbarrow? across the falls. And man, people's hands shot up. I think you can do it. I think you can do it. And he pointed to a man who was enthusiastically raising his hand on the front row and he said, you get in the wheelbarrow. And you know what that guy did? He did what you would have done. No! Not me! And watch this. That man believed in his head. He didn't believe in his heart. And a lot of people believe that Jesus died for the world in their head, but they've never, with their mind, will, and emotions, or their heart, truly put their faith in Jesus. You with me this morning? We okay this morning? Salvation is not about how good you can be. It has nothing to do with your good works. And if you believe that this morning, I would challenge you with this premise. The thief that died next to Jesus on the cross, what good works did he have to offer? None. But you know what he did have to offer? His faith. He looked over and he said, in essence, I believe you are who you say you are. He said this, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Jesus looked back at a man full of faith and he said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Have you ever, I challenge you this morning, Have you ever really believed that Jesus, alone, believing this alone, that Jesus is your way to heaven? Notice the next few words there. Should not perish. Should not perish. John chapter 3. The verses will be on the screen for you. If you have it in your Bible, I encourage you to look there first. John 3, 17 and 18. Look here. For God, read these, watch this now. Read carefully with me. Understand what we're reading. Jesus says to Nicodemus, For God sent not His Son into the world, to condemn the world, but that the world through him, through Jesus, might be rescued or saved. He that believeth on him, he that believeth on Jesus, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. But he, because he hath not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You understand that the default position for mankind is that they're heading to a literal hell. Hell is a real place, my friend. In fact, Jesus talked a whole lot more about hell than he did about heaven. Are you listening to me this morning? Hell is a place that we all deserve to go because of our sin. God looked at Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and he said, Do not eat that fruit. Why would God give Adam and Eve a choice? Because he didn't want Adam and Eve to be robots. He wanted Adam and Eve to choose to please him, to choose to love him. One day Adam and Eve sank their teeth into that fruit and they plunged their souls into death. They also set their offspring up for the same destination. 
The Bible says this, Jesus said this in the book of Matthew. He said, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. Then he added this, straight is the way that leadeth to life eternal, and few there be that find it. Now watch this, watch this. Jesus died so everyone could go to heaven. But only a small percentage of humanity is going to go to heaven. Why? Because only a small percentage of humanity is willing to humble their heart and put their faith in Him. I'm going to make the appeal personal to you this morning. Will you do that in this service right here today? Boy, it's simple. Will you believe in Jesus? He died so that you wouldn't have to perish. Watch this. He perished on the cross so you won't have to perish in hell. Oh, what great love. Notice the end of the verse. But have everlasting life. Everlasting life. You know what that is? That's eternity forever in heaven with God. That is the greatest gift that was ever purchased. If I wanted to buy you a gift, depending on the price of the gift, I'd have to dig deep maybe into my pocket and sacrifice my own uh, 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 capital, in order to be able to buy you a gift. God looked through heaven and He found the most valuable asset He had, the person, His Son, Jesus Christ, and He gave Him up to purchase the gift of everlasting life, and He offers it freely to you. Someone very poetically described John 3.16 in this way. Listen, for God, the greatest lover... So loved the greatest degree, the world the greatest number, that He gave the greatest act, His only begotten Son the greatest gift, that whosoever the greatest invitation believeth the greatest simplicity, in Him the greatest person, should not perish the greatest deliverance, but the greatest difference, have the greatest certainty, Everlasting life, the greatest possession. There's a story about a little boy who grew up many, many years ago. Before all of the social programs we have today were in place, this little boy's name is Joey. I don't know if this story is true or not, but please indulge me just for a minute. I'm going to share this with you, and then I'll, I'll close, close the service, close the sermon. Joey's parents both died tragically when he was a little boy. At the age of eight, Joey became an orphan, and Joey began living on the streets. He slept in a cardboard box in the back alley, and he d- dumpster dove in order to feed himself in the back of restaurants. Joey became very good at pickpocketing, and Joey became very good at manipulating bread lines to get more food. And Joey uh, one day was uh, out doing some things that were not good, and a man who had been observing Joey, who sat outside of a barber shop observing Joey uh, and movement around town, had figured things out with Joey. And so he pulled Joey to the side, and he said to him, Young man, are you an orphan? And Joey up front denied it, but the more the man pressed, eventually Joey admitted to being an orphan and said, Please don't turn me into the authorities. Please don't turn me over to the orphanage. I, I don't want that. I know... Uh, that I'm alone in this world, but I can fend fend for myself, sir. Please just let me be. And the old man said to him, he said, I have some good news for you. There is a family in town that would love to to love on you and provide for you a, 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 a wonderful help during this time of shortcoming in your life. 
He said the lady lives on John Street just outside of town, and she lives at her address, the family's address, is 316. He gave the little boy directions, Joey directions, and he said, there's one rule for you. He said, you knock on that door and they will take care of you. They will feed you and they will help you in a lot of ways, uh, young man. They won't, they won't question you or where you're from. They'll, they'll just give you love. He said, here's the one rule. Anytime they ask you a question, you must answer with this answer, John 3.16. And so the little boy took it and very skeptically considered it and then made his way out of town and down to John Street and down the 100 block and down the 200 block and down the 300 block, 310, 312, 314, and there sat 316 John Street. It was a nice cape-type home with a picket fence around uh, the home. And he made his way up to the door and the bright... Uh, uh, the door was painted a bright uh, uh, color and he knocked on that door and a lady opened the door and just the smell of food hit him in the face. A warm air hit him in the face as it was, winter was setting in outside. And uh, the lady said to him, Hello, young man, can I help you? And pulling on one finger and a nervous tick, he looked up at the woman and said, John 3.16? And the lady said, Oh, yes, I understand. Come on in. He said, what is your name? He said, she said, what is your name? He said, my name is Joey, John 3.16. The lady said, oh boy, you, you look cold and hungry. You have soot all over your face and your clothes are ragged and torn. Young man, we would love to help you. Let me give you a tour of the home. And, and uh, I went through the kitchen and, and smelled all the food and went by the fireplace where a dog was resting by the fire. And around the corner they came to the bathroom and the lady said, let me start some bath water. Would you like a hot bath? And the little boy looked up at her and said, John 3.16, he hadn't had a bath in months and he was quite dirty. And so she ran some bath water and put a big towel, oversized towel and a change of clothes, some uh, fleece tight pajamas there and, and left let him be. And man, he got in that bathtub with his rubber ducky and he washed up and had a good time and water was going everywhere. She knocked on the door and said, are you about ready? Dinner's almost on the table. And he said, John 3.16. And he pulled the plug and drained the water and boy, a dirt ring ran around that bathtub and he got himself all dried off and got his warm fleece pajamas on and he came out and took a whiff of the air and he said, that smells like the roast my mother used to make. And she brought him in and said, well, we have a seat at the table here for you. Would you like to eat some dinner? And he said, John 3.16. And he sat at that table and he had a big old plate of roast and mashed potatoes and green beans and a glass of iced tea. And he's just scarfing it down as quick as he can. And she says, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not going anywhere. We've got more in the kitchen. Uh, you can eat all you want. One plate, two plate, three plates. And would you like more John 3.16? Would you like more John 3.16? He pushes back away from the table and he's so full and she says, well, I made some apple pie. It's coming out of the oven right now. Did you save some room for dessert? And he said, oh, John 3.16. She pushes a piece of hot apple pie and vanilla ice cream. I know I shouldn't be talking about that. It's lunchtime, amen? And he... He eats that down and she says, we have a fire going in the fireplace and uh, there's a blanket over there and you can curl up next to the dog on the floor. Would you like to do that? And 
He says John 3.16 and he lays there and he's taking in the warmth of the fire and uh, he's beginning to fall asleep there uh, by the fireplace and she comes over and taps him on the shoulder and says, I don't know what your plans are tonight, but we have a guest bedroom and we have a bed ready to go for you if you'd like to sleep here this evening. Would that be okay with you? And he says, John 3.16, follows her to the bedroom and he gets into the bed and The lady tucks him into bed and gives him a kiss on the forehead. And as she's walking out, he says, ma'am, he says, I just want to say something to you. He says, I don't know what John 3.16 is, but John 3.16 sure has been good to me. The lady goes to her bedroom and gets her Bible and comes in and turns the light on and she sits next to him on that bed. And she explains to him the power of John 3.16. And she says this to him, that phrase, this evening has met your earthly need. But more importantly, that verse wants to meet your eternal need. How about you today, my friend? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ to meet your eternal need? Boy, it's so simple. You simply, with a heart of faith, call out to heaven and put your faith in Jesus alone to give you salvation. He'll take you away. Take your feet off the path of hell and put your feet on the path of everlasting life. He'll give you that gift. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Listen, I want to make it clear this morning. I'm not trying to convert anyone away from any denominational movement into being a Baptist. That's not what this is about. Boy, your friend who invited you today cares for your soul. They invited you here today because they wanted you to hear the message of Jesus Christ. The gospel message, the good news of His death, His burial, and His resurrection for you. How about it this morning? What will you do with Jesus? Will you put your faith in Him? Right there where you're sitting, I'd like to help you. Ask Jesus to give you that gift of everlasting life. If you feel that your heart is full of faith and you're ready to put your faith in Jesus, right there where you're sitting under your breath, will you just pray this prayer and call on His name? Just say this. Just say under your breath, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I deserve to be punished for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Come into my heart and give me the gift of everlasting life. Jesus, save my soul. My faith is in you and you alone as my way to heaven. In Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and eyes so closed this morning, no one looking around, no one looking around except myself. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I'd like to rejoice with you. With no one looking, if you prayed that prayer and meant it with a heart of faith, would you just slip your hand up right where you are? No one's looking. Is there one? I see a couple of hands. Is there anyone else? I prayed that prayer. I see another hand. Is there anyone else? Say, I prayed and trusted Christ today. I put my faith in Jesus alone to save me. I know I'm going to heaven, not because of who I am, because of what Jesus did. I see another hand. Anyone else? 
I prayed and received Jesus today. I put my faith in Him. How many here today are saved and say, Pastor Lejeune, I need to be a better witness for Jesus. I need to be busy sharing Jesus with the world around me. Pastor, please pray for me that I'll be a witness for my Savior. Would you hold up your hand? Lord, this morning, would you move in our midst? As you've been doing, would you continue to move in our midst? Lord, help us Christians to be more faithful in sharing this great news. Lord, those that just made the decision to trust you, Lord, would you help them to take the right steps forward in growing in this new relationship with you? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.